0: welcome back to episode number seven of the layback podcast a discussion conversation with david reeve of acaq this is part two if you haven't listened to part one i'd suggest going back into your podcast app and uh listening to that one or this is not going to make a lot of sense uh for the rest of you let's get back into it
1: so what stage have we got to build for tomorrow for climbing People that like the outdoors, not even as narrow as climbing, if you're in outdoor recreation, you're a very small number. People go on about, but it's a huge industry, but there's th- you can't move for people in national parks. But what you're missing is you can't move for people in your urban elite. You can't move for cafes. Because they're all out on your damn sidewalks. You can't even move down them, right? Think about mm-hmm. them. You can't move for your... You think about that. those whole cultures, about food. How much can we fiddle with food? How many different ways can we fiddle with food and put some crazy value on a piece of food that's drizzled here and sprinkled there? Think about what's going on there. Food's all about me. It's all about mmm. Well, wow, someone's made this for me. The all about me culture and the consumer culture, and I, I guess I come over as a Puritan here. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not being harsh. I, I just, I, I, I actually like watching what they're doing. I'm going, this is amazing. You paid how much for that? And this guy fiddled around with food on a plate. How far removed are we some guy grabbing something and just chewing it because he's hungry? We've made this massive move from it. And for a lot of people, there's a lot of people who do that and never yearn for that outdoor. It is there, and we talk about it, but it's not big. We talk about it in an abstract way. We talk about, like, a green movement. Oh, this matters. The natural world matters. The Most of those people never go outdoors, they will not. They're talking about something different. They're talking about a, a yearning for it's a yearning for a, it's a religious yearning. They're talking, it's their totems what they're holding up. The national park is a totem. You don't go there. It's this thing far away that acquires a value. They're assessing value on somewhere where there is a, a natural value, but it's not, they yearn for it in a sense that it's a trapping. It's a, It's basically totemistic mm-hmm. and therefore they'll be sitting there with their letter and they'll go, oh we've got a new totem, we're going to get rid of plastic spoons. You know this is totemism. They'll get rid of plastic spoons but will they pick up rubbish in the national park? Will they even go to the national park? We're moving down this road very very fast. As the urban spread, grows, they carry votes. That is where your politicians, who are just peacocks at the end of the day, and they're, they're doing the right thing, don't get me wrong. They're absolutely correct. They're asking these people, what do you want? And they're going, we want this and we want that. We want more sidewalks, We want more nice food and we want nice stuff. And we want all the, and we want these totems to be valued. We don't like it when the government doesn't value these totems. So the government goes, yeah, we'll pass a law that gets rid of plastic bags and we'll talk about plastic in the ocean. I'm not saying there isn't a problem, but what I'm saying is it's the connection of the problem to the people in that it's enough to care about it. It's not in words, I talk about it. it's not enough to actually do something about it. There is a big disconnect between the talking and the doing. And the danger of that is we remove action. Actually, not much happens. We do token stuff. Councils do token stuff. A government does token stuff. And then there's another whole group of people who are on the parks, love their parks, and the money isn't flowing to them. So as this grows, money flows into the cities but and not into the country. And so you get the country country areas are losing their vote and therefore losing the flow of money. So you've got a national park and there's one consolidated revenue, right? There's one, there's one pot of money. That's how government works. There's one pot of money and they decide how it's divided up and the ministers are responsible for executing the Acts of Parliament and they fight amongst each other who gets the money. And it's called pork barrelling. They go, they get in on election promises. I'll get money flowing this way. That's how they get in. And it it, come, it divides down, basically, in spite of all the political talk. Oh, this guy, he's got these guys. Big businesses here. Big this is there. A lot of that's talk. It, it's big numbers are here. Big numbers are there. If you've got big numbers in your city, they'll get the money. Mm-hmm. So why would money flow to a national park when you're not going there? No one goes there. Oh, yes, there's thousands of people going there, but they're a small percentage of who's in the city. Mm. That's what people are getting wrong. The city votes dominate. Look at Melbourne, it's totally dominated by the city. That's why we see things happening there first. It's the canary in the coal mine because it has no country, it's all city. Victoria is Melbourne, end of story. So you see the vote shifting there and you see the nature of the vote. You see the city elite vote dominating that vote. So why would a politician put money into a national park? So they're the first to do it. They go, hmm, problem here. Here's a cool idea, user pays. And everyone goes, that sounds fair to me. That's a democratic idea. User pays is not a democratic idea, not for a public good. It's not a democratic idea. We all pay our taxes. Yeah. We pay our taxes. So what we say is these users get double taxed. Yeah, that's great because I'm not one of them. What you're saying is user pays where I'm not one of the users. It's actually inequable and people don't see it. You've got to read John Locke to understand this stuff. <laughs> In the English legal tradition, you go, no, that's not actually equitable. You know, it's like... It, it, it it's very hard to get this into people's heads. You go, can't you see you're taxing that guy twice? Oh, but I don't care about that crap. So that's what's happening. Then they go, oh, campsites, we want to get more money. So Victoria has a range of campsites. Queensland, we all have the same fee and people go, oh, that's terrible. I camp here and I get, I got showers for that much and I camp in the bush and I get, it costs me. And you go, no, you don't get it. This is because... There is no barrier to entry. If you want to go into a national park, they shouldn't be charging anyway. And if they are charging, everyone should pay the same amount. In Victoria, they got this big scale of fees. And they actually went to Monash University and contracted them to write a whole lot of bunk as to why it was equitable to have a scale of camping fees. So you spent a lot of money on it. And I've got the document. You can look it up. It's not. It's hard to find, but it's there.
0: How much money do they spend
1: on that? Oh, a lot of money. I don't know for sure. You could get. Yeah. You could. You could. You could do. You could call for it. It would be under. I would say sixty thousand dollars or something. I don't know.
0: To determine what we should pay for. Camping yeah, camp.
1: Fees. So you got a range of camping fees, and yeah. of course, the whole reason why you pay someone to do that is for them to find the results you want. I mean, that's how it works. So. They found the result they want, blah, 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 bunkum, bunkum, bunkum. Yeah, it's equitable to have this big range. So what happens is the fancy camping areas, the high popularity areas, are 10 times the price of the lower ones. And they go, that's equitable. You go, no, it's not. There's no way that's equable. And they knew it's not equable. That's why they went to the trouble of commissioning someone. But Victorians, because you've got this large city vote, and Victorians are much more let's say, malleable than Queenslanders, Queenslanders pick out a banana and hit you with it. You know, they yeah, no. You know, they've got very... Any Queensland politician has always got to run for his money because he never knows what his electorate's going to do next. They could all turn on him, and they do. Down in Victoria, it's much more clear-cut. You know, I vote on this side, I vote on that side. So people go, well, seems fair enough to me because I never go to the national parks. So it's fair enough. So what that means is money is it's a user pay model, and it's growing. So what's happening down there, step by step, my latest post I put up, is how the tourism there, they've got this whole model of how the guy describing to a parliamentary committee, I mean, a parliamentary committee, you're, you're on oath, you're giving evidence... And he thinks it's okay to get there and talk about, well, we're we're putting this track in, which we have bulldozed through, and it's got this all nice, easy walking, and we're putting eco-lodges into it along the way. We're going to spend all this, you know, we're spending money, but it's okay. We're going to make money on it. We've got a business plan. And we've also got the new Parks Victoria Quango, which now offsets parliament anyway so parliament's got very little say what goes on there and he talks about people going you know me and my mates you know my friends we go down there and our partners and we go for a walk for the day and then we sit down and we have a few nice quality local wines and then we sit by the fire and then a local aboriginal elder comes in tells us a story of something such and such and they can't see how paternalistic and damn demeaning that is, you know. And yet they've got all this fuss about giving Aboriginal their rights down there. And then they talk about it in those terms as the guy's a product. It just blows me away. And this is to a parliamentary committee. And his words he's chosen are so naive that these guys are so embedded in an elite they can't see what they're doing. And a parliamentary committee can't see. So both sides of the House pushed, allowed the Parks Victoria Act through. It totally empowered quango. It totally offset the control of the, the arm of the minister to reach in there. Minister doesn't care less because it's not a city issue. These are wild spaces that are going to be taken from our children. This is where we're heading, and yet they've gotten the nerve to badmouth climbers who are probably the most caring of these places. They stir up the to groups against the climbers, you know, and it's just it's example of of a bad stage. It's an example of someone got that stage wrong. We've got to get in there, we've got to rebuild that. we've got to wake up people down there. And yet, you notice on that post where I talk about what's wrong with that, in Queensland, I've got 25 shares. In Victoria, I've got one share on the same post. Massive difference. I've got a heap of likes, very few down there. And... It could be that they don't like Queenslanders telling them what to do, pull your head in, but I uh, no, I suspect it is people just don't understand what's coming at them. It's as simple as that.
0: How do we, um, I guess, work to change a stage like that? And using the Victorian current example, what what needs to be done from an access perspective, from the work that actually has to be done I think to change it?
1: We've gone a big step. We've got ACAV down there, which is very very pleasing for me. And look, I'm, I don't want to bad mouth the guys that did all the hard work down there in VCC. It's not what I want to do. It's just it's a bit like if you walk those people in to a, a meeting, trying to think, whether it was business or even bureaucracy, where or even into politics, they've got, uh, their view of the world is, is very naive. I don't think they've got any idea of what a politician is actually like, what the political greasy poll is like, what, how long would they last in a union branch, for example where those guys just tear into each other and they use lawfare. Unions are probably one of your best ones to see how the association structure can be used to control and build power within the public space. And uh, they, you know, to the people outside, they think they're just doing stuff for their members. inside, you ask anyone that works with them, their lawfare, first and foremost, that's where our lawyer's come from. You know, it's just... And they have built a very successful model of getting control of government. Now, some people say that's terrible, that shouldn't happen. I, I won't go there, because that's, that doesn't matter. You've got to say, in the modern world, the outdoor recreation space... The people who care for the parks, not the, not the political guys who want to use it as a totem, not using it as a totem, actually caring about what's on the ground, what's under your feet, what is actually happening. That group of people, which is a, quite a small group of people, um, they need to understand how the unions grasp power. How, if you look at their power play, then you begin to understand what we have to do. And they use the system of laws. They don't use the system of people. Laws is everything to them. So, and law is good. They, you know, people go, oh, that's terrible. You shouldn't do it. No, it's not. The laws are there. The law, if you want to test something, you want to say this is right or wrong, get it into a court. You go, oh, but that costs money. You go, okay, you've got to find a way of getting the money. So that's what we come back to. ACAQ, that's what we do. So we eventually shaped myself, and I realized law was everything and got my head around administrative law and constitutional law, and got my head around that. I suddenly realized, I understand what unions do now. And yes, that is, if you want to bring about change, you've got to build a stage that you can act on. You can't just sit there. Yeah, they hold demos, but don't believe the demos are the potency. That's not their potency. You mean the unions? Yeah. 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 That's a, that's not where it happens. They the where it happens is in courts of law.
0: So you don't think that climbers need to go out and protest?
1: No, no, it's a waste of time. They're too small. No one cares. Yeah. This is what what people don't get. We'll go out. I'll write to my MP. Yeah, look, do that, and he'll he'll make. Nice noises to you because... He'll peacock, as you say. he'll peacock. But he's not going to do anything. Yeah. You, by coming in through the other route, they are breaking laws. You can, people don't understand, you can change the law if you want to. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to have a thousand people on the street to do it. You can change it because ultimately... Within the parliamentary system, one thing I learned is it's a very easy test. How many politicians can you name? How many people are actually in the parliament? There's, it's a huge ratio. People name, I name three people. There's not three people down there, but they're the ones that matter. They're the peacocks. Behind that, laws are being made by a much bigger group than that. There are parliamentary committees. You don't see the work of those. You, you can check them. And suddenly I discovered, as I drew closer to it and began to approach parliament, and this way, there I discovered there were parliamentarians who actually care about legislation. They're not the noisy ones. They're the guys that sit on committees, put in the hard work. So it's very unfair to say, you know, I'm very dismissive. I go, bunch of clowns, was circus. Because the bit we see is. But I'll also say that I've discovered there are good people in there. If you approach, when they call for submissions, they're there. There's the Office of Parliament that most people don't realise it exists. They don't realise it's an institution in its own right. You can use it. You can approach Parliament by means of it. And there are things you can do. Like in Queensland, there's no upper house. It's monocameral. And you can go. You can If you follow Parliament, how pe- many people... They follow Parliament watching the media circus. That's part of the elite. This is the the old court system of rings, inner rings, outer rings, outer rings of power. This was put away by in the English Enlightenment. They found ways through that. And you can go down those roads, but don't go the court system, know someone who knows someone. You can go in, you go, actually, no, under the Constitution, I can walk in. This has now gone to committee level, I can walk in. I'll do it. I just tried my luck. I'm walking in. I want to listen to this committee. To my gobsmack surprise, sure, you can come in. You're welcome. Not any of that. They loved it. I came in and knocked on the Excuse me a minute. We've got a member of the parliament. A member of the public wants to come in. They stopped. Great. Come on in. Oh, we haven't got chairs. We'll get you a chair. Hang on, where is this? This is in Parliament House in George Street.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Hey, so you just walked into Parliament House.
1: Well, this is a committee. You've got to understand it's monocameral. So when a bill gets introduced, blah, 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 I commit this to the such and such committee for consideration. There's no upper house. You can walk into that committee meeting. It's public. Most people don't realise it. And you go in and you get the date. You've got to watch Parliament. It's on the web. It's on this date. I go in. Hi, I've come to listen. And I thought they're going to throw me out. No, not at all. You walk in there and you go through the metal detectors and the funkies. I've come for the such and such committee. You just admit it's in room such and such. I'll take you up. And you go up there and they knock on the door. Excuse me. I've got someone here who wants to come in. And the chair lady goes, you know, chairperson says, oh, yes, come in. Oh, we haven't got chair. We'll get you a chair. And you sit yourself down. And they go, how do you do? And on they go. And you're allowed to sit there.
0: And can you speak? I mean, do they ask no, you No, no, it's
1: a committee. You're not allowed to speak because yeah, they're debating. But, of course, at the end when they stop, they're very curious. Oh, what's interesting you? Why did you come? And you immediately get the ear of the committee. Well, yeah, the time we did, we got a problem. Look, do you see this in the act? Do you see these? How's this going? And you go, oh, the cheer lady goes. She was a Labour member for Ipswich. She goes, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? And the the um, uh, deputy director of QPWS was there. And he goes, hey, look at this. What's this on? He goes, oh, crap. I don't know about this. This, this guy was responsible. He drafted it. Come here and have a look. He goes, oh, but the minister just told me to cut and paste that across. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, do you think we could change it? Could, can we put something in there? Yeah, yeah, make a submission. That's cool, right? So we made a submission and it went in and I couldn't believe it. The committee goes, yeah, the Australian Climbing... you see it's on hand, so the Australian Climbing Association recommend that this be changed to this. We think this is a good idea. And then next thing you know, the amendment's read in Parliament and the amendment's read... And there it is. We amend that this be changed to this. So we got our wording put into the Nature Conservation Act because the way it was was crap. And now that wording affects us in Flinders Cave. That wording makes sure that they have to consider our point of view for recreation. It has to be managed for it in Flinders Cave. We knew that was a problem. We knew that would hit Flinders if it weren't. Years later problem comes up, it's which city council get uppity. We they go, whoops. Look at that clause. And we go, not only whoops, look who lobbied for that clause. <laughs> it's in Hansard. They go, you can't say climbing isn't a valid recreational thing. We put it in there. Mm-hmm. And they go, Whoops. So you can do it. And this isn't waving placards. This isn't having a sit-in in the offices. This is actually following. This is working on the stage. What, I guess what kind of skills
0: does an organization need to pull together to kind of do that sort of thing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's evolved over time. I think you need someone like me that's used to being in, like Mike Tompkins, that's running Victoria Down. Mike's uh, an engineer. He, he's used to... He's a grumpy old engineer like me, so he's used to walking to a meeting and just... It's a way of making people understand this is a schedule and this is what's going to happen and it, just no good shouting at me. Yeah. Yeah, no. You're polite with it. You're careful with it, but people realise from your stance and your words that, they, that you're in charge and this is what's going to happen. So you need... It's not terribly conciliatory, and this cuts against a lot of people's, particularly younger people's, view of what they'd like to be involved in. Somewhere, ships have captains, and for as long as that captain's the captain, someone makes decisions. And that's because that person, when they're outward facing, I use a concept, inward and outward facing. I use it for running a business as well. When you're outward facing, you are as aggressive as all hell because you're fighting for your people. You do not let another organization run over your people. When you're facing inwards, you're kind and considerate because they're your people. So you need someone who understands that. And it's not like, oh, we'll sit down and have a nice conciliatory meeting. Look, it's, I understand that. I I, I love it that you're such a nice person, that that's what you want to do. But in the real world of politics and bureaucracy, you know, that is not how it actually works. That is not that world. It's a world of, of absolute daggers, you know. So you need that person and you need a person legal and that person needs to at least be across legal. They can be a bush lawyer, but they they must be good at a good Bush lawyer. A big asset of Learn is you need a lawyer. If you have a law person, then the guy to choose is a union lawyer. We've got a union lawyer. They are the best because they are fighters. They They're know, used to it. Yeah, they used to they understand that's how how it works. That's they understand that game and they understand how you use it. They're fighters, you need that. And then beyond that, you need all your other people just doing the the workload increases and increases in, in it, stuff to be done. That just messing around running an association. But beyond that, that's all you need, but if you can grow the number of heads that understand administrative law, constitutional matters that, who understand that that is wrong, when that went, that should never have made it through Parliament, there should have been overview of that. Where was the overview? How was it overviewed? Who was responsible for the overview? get the names, how you track that process. Um, you need those people. And they start appearing, interestingly. They're starting to appear in Victoria. I think you've got to get the ball rolling. And it's once the start of the stage goes up, you know, hammer, hammer, hammer. I I, I think it's like, it's almost like, like a siege machine. You sit there building a siege machine and you wheel it into place. And that, if it's properly constructed, that'll last decades. You take up that space. That means people can't take that space from you. Then you build another siege machine and you wheel it up against the castle. Ultimately, you've got them surrounded. And you don't wave placards. You ask questions on the floor of Parliament. You get someone to ask a question for you. That, That just gets... You know, you know the opposition will just push that down they'll go yeah whatever but their problem is it's on hand side mm. and therefore that's an area where you can and you've got note of it so if ever they come back against that mm. you will immediately point out that's not what she said 2 years ago mm. in answer to this question so you, yeah so you're constantly getting them and normally you know, our pulleys are good. Pulleys don't get to there without being good. Mm. So they're pretty astute. They, they realize what's coming their way. They look at you and go, you're dangerous. Mm. And normally they'll just try and avoid you. Mm. But you find the whole tenure of a con- the conversations you have become very different and actually very useful and good. That you get much more productive. So even though you're waving a big stick, my experience is everything becomes a lot more productive because people understand the game you're playing. You understand, once you've got money behind you, things get very productive.
0: Well, how, how important do you think that is? I mean, obviously, uh, the ACA in Queensland has built a bit of a fund behind them. So ACAV is doing the same thing. There, there's also the numbers game in terms of, of the number of members. Yep. And, and there's a big members drive going on for ACAV. How important do you think, or, or how I guess do the the number of members of the organization and the funding that the organization has in, in the war chest, how does that play into the influence that the organization uh, has? The
1: number of people's relative unimportant okay. they're, they're important they're important at some level of negotiation like they're important more at the carrot than the stick yeah. because at the carrot end you need to be able to represent the community but I always say we represent you whether you're a member or not because we've got no choice. Yeah. The moment we don't represent everyone then we're not being equable so everything has to be equable. Whatever we're doing, it has to be seen that it's the greater good for all people. All climbers. Whatever. And not only you're not
0: you're not representing the members, so to speak, you're representing all climbers. Yeah. And similarly,
1: if it's in a national park, we Mm. also have to extend that to all stakeholders. We cannot say, We're climbers, we're pushing for the climbers over this group. I'll never do that. Mm. I would argue that we need to use the national park's assets in a way that all these people can be engaged. So in when I'm dealing with a park and the public, it's probably even wider than that. I'm almost representing all outdoor recreational people.
0: Can we touch on that then in terms of cultural heritage and how we reconcile as climbers, how we interact with cultural heritage, traditional owners in these
1: areas? Yeah, it's it's one of those things. uh, It's been... I guess festering is perhaps the best word for it. In in a similar way to the natural values and so on have been as well. That the national parks, like if you take Queensland, mm-hmm. the national the you I remember as a kid there were no national parks of forestry. Mm-hmm. And then the Forestry Department used to do up these little walking trails. There used to be one on Cunningham's Gap. I love these places. And they used to put the names of trees, hammer them into the tree. And yeah, yeah. Put these little carved signs I remember up. the ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah used to go bushwalking up there as a kid. I remember Yeah, it. yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. Well, hmm. they weren't national parks. And, but the forestry had some sort of remit. It wasn't great because state government's job is extractive. You've, they've got to get the money for the people. So yeah. it's extractive. That's their remit. Um, this evolved, I guess, with a growing sense of, as people began, it's affluence. People, my father had to work Saturdays, you know. Mm. You know, and he, he did, because that was, so he didn't have that much spare time. Then he got in his bike and cycled down to Mount Barney and back to climb Mount Bunny on Sunday in one day crap you know (laughs) you know but so you imagine there weren't a lot of people doing that Mm. but once you had the weekend off and then you had a car and then affluence is a big factor people start visiting you get visitation numbers so suddenly the whole shape changes then a desire to protect these places arise so we get some of our first national park acts which weren't that clever Mm. And they were—they didn't go far and fell over, and there was various problems in how to administer them. Eventually, they got um, after a few unsuccessful attempts in Queensland the Nature Conservation Act, and it's hard to say who was behind that. Um, I've there are some people I've spoken to who certainly had an awe in that, mm. um, and is uh, Queensland was very lucky—they got this amazing. Piece of legislation that is so general. They understood good legislation, and it's very general legislation. So that was built, and so that allowed um, them. They set aside a created an executive just for that act, Queensland Parks and Wildlife Service. And so what happened was they were there, but it kind of didn't work for ten years because. These guys just initially waded in and said, well, the one way of managing national parks is to shut it. So even <laughs> bush workers weren't allowed in. You might remember that phase. So went through a bad phase. You weren't allowed to bush work. You weren't allowed entry. And it made it easy for them because they didn't have to do anything. They all sat straight. George this? Street. That was... The Act was 93, was 92 or something?
0: So there's a period of time where bushwalkers in Queensland were locked out of the parks. Mm, there was a lockout, So, so we've yeah. been through lockouts before. In Queensland, yeah. In Queensland. Yeah. That yeah. have been reversed.
1: Yeah, and they were reversed. Eventually that began to reverse, and but nothing really began to move. ACAQ were very effective. When we came in, and they were still running that, the idea was... If there's a problem in the park, block that user group and then we can all just take it easy. And I was the one who made them sit up and say, you know, I said, no, we're not going to allow that any longer. We're going to make you manage. And, of course, there were people through the organisation who would dearly want to manage. It's like any organisation. It's a multi-headed hydra, right? Mm-hmm. There are people with a heart in the right place and other people blocking it, you know. Yeah. You've got career civil servants at the top and so on yeah. who never go in National Park, right? And then you got the public liability issue was vexing them. So you got all that. So it is... So that was to do with natural, value, to, the natural values, right, which is where I'm coming from. Eventually, they went from being used as a mechanism, from being ignored, places were being degraded, used as a mechanism to a lockout, and the effect of that was to, to degrade them further because, no one, because you can't shut a park, everyone's on it, it's just gone feral is all, all yeah. you actually mean, to being forced to address it. And let's get active and let's get our user groups of stewards and drive stewardship. Mm. And coming behind that, I guess, is you've got the cultural values mm. that went from an era. And, I, you know, I can only say what I know, and it's very unpopular in the popular zeitgeist, but I knew more about Aboriginal values mm. than the people now. And that was simply because Brisbane was a hick country town, I think. And all my relatives were country. And it's just, you knew it. You knew people who knew black fellas, And that's what they've learnt. They've been there. And they'll tell you. they would say, oh, do you know this? And so I knew a lot of those stories because we knew them. Because we are brought up. We knew, you know, if, if I told you, you know, camping and being out in the bush and things, we were quite... Seeped in, in in that, and it was interesting. I was having a conversation with a Ngurupul elder a little while back, and I was telling him we're talking about Bunyip, and what they call it. I go telling him, do you know? I still to this day I have a certain, I'm more than sneaking respect for the Bunyip, right? <laughs> I knew that I was I was, I was a white kid. But I knew that. For instance, I carried an old blackened billy. I would never take a shiny billy into the bush. It was blackened and it was battered. And you'd never go to a waterhole, particularly billabong, not running water, at night with a light so you could be seen. You'd go in the dark with a black billy because you just knew it was a bad thing to do. It was not bad. It was a wrong thing to do. You don't take shiny modern crap into an ancient place now that I wasn't alone in that (laughs) understanding that and feeling that where the hell did that come from right now that was a connection to land and obviously connection to a cultural tradition of some sort modern people haven't got a clue right they got their their, (laughs) I shouldn't be a grumpy oldie they got their music yep Right, they go, oh, man. Their phones,
0: their Wi-Fi, yep. Man. Lattes, uh, got it all.
1: What are you doing? I mean, this is an old place. At night when you're camping, it's all around you. It's all around you, and yet it's lost. It's gone. I would love to connect. So my grandchildren. I didn't bring my kids up here. My grandchildren. I tell them, when we're out there, you know, we we're on on Tibro the other day, and you know, granddaughter, you know, your honour, you understand, this mountain's alive, don't you? You understand this is a living thing. You're on an ancient, ancient thing. You see, it you looks a bit creepy, but they react to it. They respond. You be nice. You you. You just pay attention, and at night come here. Don't be so noisy. You're being noisy. Everything can hear you. Everyone can see you. You've got a light no one else has. Think about it. Why aren't you? Be quiet. Move silently. Be aware, and you can you can do it. And that has been lost. I'm sure I wasn't the only one. I wasn't. I know I wasn't. I can speak to other people my age. You know about that. And it was lost. And, uh, yeah, okay, I can see it. And, and, pe- and the, the narrative has become very fractious, Very a lot of ar- activists on it. We have uh, my mate Yulong Buller, and we know each other well, who shouts and yells, and I like him. I'm happy with him to shout and yell on our Facebook page because, yes, a pile of what he's saying is a pile of crap. He'll, he'll know I think that. I'll tell him that, but a pile of what he's saying. And he, how do we say it to get people to sit up and listen except the way he's saying it? He's going, dude, you haven't got a clue. And he's right. Dude, you have not got a clue. And that if I can get that, if I can achieve that one thing, can we please get a clue? I'm not asking you to like it. I'm not asking you to approve of it. I'm not asking you to support Aboriginal activism, any of that stuff. I'm asking you to understand that there is a value in our national park diminishing, disappearing right before our eyes because we're swamping those places. And if we're going to swamp them, please can we try and connect to that ancient landscape? It is easy. I know people connect to it because I see them feeling something's missing. I'm out here. There's something magic about this. What is it? Why is it? They'll tell you when they build the national parks, you cannot make a track, miss the rock. If it's a piece of rock, you need to take it past it because people will want to put their hands on it. Why do people want to put their hands on the rock? Why do they want to do that? It's an ancient, ancient thing. We all have that ancient programming. And, it, well, no, some of us don't because we're happy to go around the city, blah, blah, blah. We're happy with totems, right? We're happy with totems. We're not. We see built structure, and we love that built structure. We need to go, some of us need to go to those spaces where we don't see straight lines, where we don't see steps cut in straight lines, but we see random Free flowing, it soothes our brains, and we're born with it. And yeah, it's to me, it's the next big thing we've got to do. And it's mixed up with activism, but maybe activism was the tie, was the step necessary for someone to shout at people, as our mate Yolans does. <laughs> bless him. Um, bless his cotton socks. Yeah, he's um. He's, the point is, dude, you don't get it. You're talking too much. You're not listening enough. Mm. Listening's the first step. Mm. But that doesn't mean to say the other crap as well that's in there. My belief is we all share these places Mm. because we all connect to it. Mm. And there's an activism in that, and there's going to be some harsh conversations with, I believe, activists that are all about me. My question to all of them is, what about the future? What does it look like? When you're gone, who cares? Who cares about you? What's the future look like? Ideally, if a future means we have lost the ancient connections and fragments that exist, and we've lost them because we were too busy drinking lattes on on our cities where you know, because we were so lost in our cities, then, yeah, I would, I'd call that a big loss. It would be the same as losing our plants, same as losing our forests. It is all part of that. We, we should not lose that. We, we are, all the shades are stupid if we lose that because we've got people feeling something's missing. They go to these places because they're seeking something. We have got people who know they're losing something and they cannot make the cross to the next generation. I know that talking to the elders. They're talking to us because they can't reach in to the next generation and they would willingly talk to anyone who feels that that connection. We must be exceedingly stupid people if we can't put those together. If activism gets in the way of that, I'll call it for what it is if it stops that process of connection, if, if, the, if extremes on either side try and block that, I'm happy to call it, probably end up have stones through my window, I don't know. But it, it matters because we're talking about the stage and we're talking about the future generation. Future generation of kids in Australia. Australian bush is that. You cannot walk in the Australian bush Without sensing the spirits and the footsteps of eons of people that have walked there before you,
0: so to, to bring it back to traditional owners, Arapiles. Let's take a classic climb there, like I don't know, for argument's sake, um, Punks in the Gym, yep. which has bolts on it. Yeah, what if cultural heritage is discovered there? You know, how do we reconcile that? You know, something that we would see as being you know, a very large part of Australian climbing folklore and culture, and then, you know, we have to reconcile it. And it is a hypothetical, you know, for the sake of the thought experiment. W- what would we do there? How yeah, do we, reco- uh, how do we reconcile how we feel about the culture I, with, with, with someone else who has the same feeling for yeah, the I area? don't think
1: it's a thought experiment. <laughs> I think we're almost there. Yeah. Um, it's very real. Um, we have, I don't think there's any, there is a cultural collision, um, we have to have those hard conversations that occur at any cultural collision interface. And there's there's no avoiding them. And I've skated around them because I can for as long as I can. I've started this thing in Australia, in, in Queensland at any rate. I've, I didn't need the hassle of it and now I thought, I'm age 70, am I going to do it, am I not, will I just bow out at this point? Or And then I began to think about it, I began to think, I understand, I believe I can see a path, it's all to do with stages, how do we build that stage? I believe I can explain it if I think about it for long enough and hard enough, I believe I can bring the arguments because they're all natty. You've got to condense it down. It can't Mm. be long involved. You can't be talking about English. Literature. You know, John Locke and literature, (laughs) right? You've got to bring it down that it means means something. Um, And, yeah, there is a path through. I believe it. I believe it will be a lot of fire and smoke and... I believe it's a system of laws, not a system of people. Mm. Mate, don't be a peacock. And a lot of our activists are your classic peacock. Mm. You know, you get classic peacocks that actually they're interested is in the activism. I, I know there are people. I, I speak to them. I locate them. Hard to locate within the um, Aboriginal culture. There are people who are struggling to preserve what they've learned from their parents and from their elders who want to keep that alive. So there are areas within where that tradition is reasonably in place, and there's other places where it's been destroyed. Um, the places where it's been destroyed will, will inevitably be your urban places because that's where it was hit hardest. Mm the more out-of-the-way places, it's very much intact. And there's places you can go out, as I say, you can choose some challenges out in the middle of nowhere. It's very much in place. And therefore, it's not one-size-fits-all. That's the first thing you've got to understand. It's not like... Because you can play games with it to the end. You go, okay, you guys want... um, Horse trading. Yeah, yeah, horse trading. You You say to the city elites, okay, if you want to take punks in the gym... We want you to trade Melbourne City Ground, which is a Melbourne cricket ground, which is a major, important Aboriginal site. It was. Can you imagine the kickback, right? Yeah. Oh no, 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 no. That's that's different. Mm. That's mm. different. I agree, it's different. Mm. But isn't that the point? Isn't the point that it is different, and therefore, we need to um, we need to dredge the thing. We've got to take these things up and look at them. And an analogy I use cultural clash because it's easier for people to understand is that, you know, Granny's, granny's getting old and she's living in this house by herself and oh, all pile of old crap and it's falling to bits and young people go in and Granny finally dies and they look around and they go, what's with this crap, look at this stuff, what the hell is that stuff? Let's throw it out and bulldoze the house and put something nice and shiny on it. In other words, throw out the old, bring in the new we, before we do that, we should look carefully at what we throw out. We should always look carefully. There's a tendency of the young to overvalue new. That's because they're young. <laughs> Somehow we have to value. We have to have a mechanism of valuing the old, which is always a conflict. But that's what it is. At its heart, it's valuing the old at its heart we can understand it in any culture and if you some of the you know in some of the local areas here i'm speaking to aboriginal elders and at the end of the day that's it's that argument it is they're trying to respect the old they were handed this by their elders They don't want to see it thrown out. The young, they're young, are hell-bent on throwing it out. Um, They're saying, look, we understand the new, we understand the youngsters have their tablets, the young, you know, they have their video games, we understand all of that, they want to be indoors. But that's fine, but let's not throw everything out. It's not calling for a complete return to some sort of other thing. With them, uh, the ones I've spoken to, it's about, we don't want to lose this. It's a connection to landscape that's truly old and valuable. It's valuable to everyone. And so it's about not throwing out. So what, there's a cultural heritage for climbing that goes back in the glass house. Do you know Kangaroo Point is actually a cultural heritage? Climbing there is actually one of the cultural heritage items of that cliff. Climbing's been there long enough. Arapiles climbing is definitely a cultural heritage thing. There's a need to um, sit down and look through Grandma's stuff (laughs) and talk about it. What's of value, what isn't? If we trade that, what do we get? If we could get rid of that, but this is the only one of these in the world or this place or uh, why would we? Why would we do that? Why would we do that to future generations? Why would we do that? Are you going to be the person that does that? If you're not sure, then you should be conservative. That's why people like me end up being conservative old dudes because the older you get, the less sure you are about rights and wrongs. And therefore, you tend to be conservative and you tend to go... That's why law's conservative at its best. It goes, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we should wait a few years. And therefore, one thing we shouldn't be doing is sweeping through like some crazy broom, sweeping everything before it. And yeah, there is. I think we'll see that happen. And there's going to have to be sit-down. But you've got to extract or you've got to remove for the, from, from, from the conversation. It's the same money is the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. And a lot of people still don't get their heads around it. They still don't see that's what's driving them. Mm. And I, I've run businesses, I have no trouble with that. It's not that is a thing called the public good. I fully understand that's an English enlightenment thing. The public good is required, whereas some things that model doesn't work. A free-for-all is not the ultimate solution to everything. Free-for-all works for some things, but not for certain things. There are examples like healthcare. There are examples of treatment of the vulnerable within society. Through no fault of their own, they are vulnerable. We all should contribute to that. National parks are a public good. They were set aside in the first, I've traced back to, I may be able to go further back, but in 1845 when the enclosures were getting underway and the enclosures weren't all evil in spite of what popular reinterpretation of history might say the reasons for it everyone was starving there was great hunger and they needed increased agricultural efficiency was the obvious way of feeding people therefore the commons were getting taken into private ownership so they could grow food on them um, there there were reasons why they couldn't divide up the bigger estates, and people don't understand that it's interesting right? there's a whole lot of interesting things in land ten, uh, ten- tenure mm. the com- commons were getting divided up. Um, What's his name? Sir Robert Peel. There were a lot of Robert Peels, but the one, he of the community police force that was smart enough to see that for a police force to work, they had to be of the people and for the people. He understood that only a community police force would work because the people have to police themselves. Pretty modern thought that. He also believed that they had to set aside land that could not be put into, alienated from the crown and become private estate. He understood that because he realised that there would be no breathing space for people of the cities. 1845, pretty, and I've got Hansard for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just making this up. I've got Hansard, right? Yeah. Roll on the um, the Wastelands Acts of a colony of colonies Acts which dictated what what that the Crown would have control of waste, what they called useless land mm. in the colonies very very important Act and they moved through into New South Wales Queensland separated from New South Wales they had things called reserves they set aside reserves when they divided land up mm. when land is divided into freehold for sale they set aside reserves kangaroo point is one such and that's why we at kangaroo point can chase council on go you can't do that this is a reserve under the land act we hold you responsible it's a reserve for parts for recreation parts for park you cannot do that on there and they go oh yes we can we're a council and we've got local government local law and we go not there state law trumps that don't you try us So so you go and you go, try us, try us in the Supreme Court if you dare. We'll challenge you on that. They go, oh, okay. (laughs) Reserves are super important. Robert Peel, reserves. A a national park is a type of reserves. Reserves are set aside for a purpose. Recreation's a modern one because years ago people didn't have the free time to recreate. There was no such thing as recreation. So it's for things like view, (laughs) park. Right? Yeah. And they gradually grew. Um, so you go up, and, and eventually you have them for recreation. Then, as the zeitgeist change, you get a thing called a national park, which is set aside by the same process, the governor. Basically, the monarch is driving along and goes, oh, say, jolly nice-looking piece of bush there, Jeeves. Whose bush is that? And they go, it's your sire. Oh, I think I'll give this for the people. It'll be jolly nice for them to do their exercises and walk through it. That is the spirit of it. That is the spirit. It is not the plaything of parliament. It is not the plaything of administration. It is of the people. The monarch, who people don't realise what a monarchy is. The monarch has a duty to the people before God. Very unfashionable these days, but in those days it wasn't. And that idea was that he was responsible to people. Parliament had its thing, Mm. and Parliament managed executives. Parliament represented the people as an abstract thing, as a group. Mm. You know, a million people isn't a person. It's an abstract Mm. object, Mm. right? People, but a person has a grievance. They can go to the monarch. Mm. Still can. And that is why, constitutionally, we can cause trouble for the administration. We go in. This is a monarch thing. We go in and we go to the administration. You can't do that. I have a constitutional law. The constitution is sets in place parliament and all that stuff. The monarch says this constitution is okay. He's got a duty to God to make sure that people are represented by the Constitution. Unfashionable now. No one says, oh, no such thing. But the concept is super important. When I walk in and demand to sit in a committee in George Street, it is God's that's letting me in. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't exist anymore. No one says, did you ask God? I mean, but conceptually, that's why I can do it. As an individual, I can do it. I don't need... Coming back to your thing, how many people do you have? To run an ACAQ, you need one, but you need the money. One person can do that. All you need is standing, and you have that standing because as an individual, you have been in some way materially affected by the action of parliament and the government. So super, super important concept, right? so the same thing applies with Aboriginal cultural heritage um, I could, could go on forever about this it's, 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 it, it's complex um, The there is law and native title as it exists is a clever bit of law um, Justice Brennan was a smart man and a, uh, did a, he certainly was one of the prominent voices on the, under Mabo too. Um, and he, he made a concept which gave a, con, a compromise between, um, a compromise between the two cultures. And so it is a cultural clash. And Native Title attempts to navigate a path between them. And it says that when, English law arrived, it established a title, but it's what's called a radical title. It was a title only in name. It had no rights. See, this is, a, this is why it's complex. You know, people, if you're not into law, you don't see why. You can have a title, but it may be of no use to you. This is my land, yeah, but you've got zero rights on it. Mm. Right? It's, it's a possibility. Such titles exist. Mm. So when they arrived, they said, They arrived, so there's English title. Sovereign had title, but he had no rights. And this goes back a long way. This is not a new thing. This is an old thing. You trace it back to Magna Carta, where you see the sovereign's rights being eroded under the feudal system, that under the feudal structure, people at different levels, even though they were tied to that land, they had rights to that land. That was an important thing about it. And evolved and In the Reformation, that brought new things. and With the Glorious Revolution, that brought new things about the relationship of monarch and his relationship to the people. So you have a situation where the monarch only had that right and then land was carved from that estate in fee simple, but the Aboriginal people Mabo established have a right to to, to tradition because they themselves didn't have, they couldn't, it wasn't heritable to them. Mm-hmm. The the all forms of land go back, you don't have to go back very far at all and you find very similar things. They're basically tribal. This is this tribal's land. If you step off it, you'll get whacked. And so people couldn't buy and sell their land. They owned it because they were of that tribe. Yeah. And that, and then the English system changed over the years and you had this thing called... Fee simple, where people could own land, and a bit that's what gave land a value. Then you could trade it mm. uh, under native title. What it recognizes is going back that there is still that fundamental connection that when the land was sovereign, mm. they owned a sovereign right mm. to tradition, and therefore they can be on that land, they can practice traditional stuff. Um, it was a pretty neat trick. Here's a neat, I guess, way of trying trying to find a way through. And it still holds. Mm-hmm. So that's Commonwealth. There is um, a feeling that somehow we should do better than that. and We should actually give them land. And being totally cynical, you can be damn sure that land won't be in Melbourne. It won't be... Urban. So if it's in freehold, it can never be given away. But where it's government land, and this is the catch, where it's crown land that possibly exists to hand it over in some way. And that has been done. There are various forms of Aboriginal title. Queensland has more sensible ones. Victoria's got one that really needs to be challenged. To me, it's paternalistic and wrong. Basically, it hands it over in a form... Um called fetal. Fetal is feudal. it was a form of ownership of land. it was kind of established. it stabilized the land after the Norman invasion under the feudal system. it says you land was given down from the sovereign, down to the lowest serf, and serf had nothing. Everyone owed a duty up the way and down the way, so it went both ways. You had a feudal superior and feudal people behind you, and depending where you were in the system, people passed stuff up to you and then you passed up to them. And so it was a reasonably stable structure. The lowest level just worked on farms. Middle level had farmers but did no farming, but they had men-at-arms. That would be part, part of their deal. One of the things Magna Carta established was the sovereign couldn't come and just grab that land back. That was violating the structure. Equally well, if you were at a point in the structure, you couldn't sell that land. It could only be inherited by your heir. And there's a thing called futile, guaranteed that. And it ran through the centuries uh, to the point where you had big estates. And that's why people were starving in the 1800s. In the 1800s, people had these big estates Mm. But they couldn't sell them. They couldn't, them. Yeah. They couldn't subdivide them. Mm-hmm. They couldn't afford to farm them. <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they couldn't do anything with them. And so you had these impoverished people and these run-down estates. And eventually he brought law in that stopped that process.
0: It was so you're, you're saying the native title in native Victoria title is, 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 is in that situation? Not native
1: title. Mm-hmm. A thing called Aboriginal title. Okay. And when that, when the state's got the right to do it and they legislated it, so they can alienate a form of freehold. And it looks good for them. They go, we give the Aboriginals back their land in freehold, and it is freehold, it is true, but it's not fee simple. Fee simple where you have the rights to sell, and fee tail you don't. So Aborig- So when they're given that land, for instance, that's what will happen in so They'll be given that land... And when they're given that land, they it isn't fetal. It cannot be sold. It, it, it is passed down. It can only go down. Uh, there'll be like a a um, cultural heritage group, an Aboriginal group. To be members of that group, there must be a certain connection to land established. That group then can, only that group can ever own that land. The title stays in that group. It can never be split. It can never be subdivided between individuals. So it can never be divided and therefore it cannot be mortgaged. It cannot be burdened. The whole advantage of having a property is you can loan against it, for example. It drives the whole of modern society. It cannot, they cannot raise it. More than that, in the act of transfer, there's a reverse contract that binds that land binds that title to the government of Victoria, to the bureaucracy. So that land has gone from being crowned to bureaucratically owned, controlled, not owned. The Aboriginal party owns it but can't unburden it, sell it, or do anything with it. That back thing controls operation of that land and effectively controls what can happen there. So what happens next is if it's a national park, there is also a rule says that the National Parks Act continues to operate on it, but it is not a national park in the sense it was because originally it was a reserve set aside for the purpose of the people. Now it doesn't have that meaning anymore, so they've destroyed the meaning of a national park, which is challengeable, I believe. But there is in the um, Traditional Owners Settlement Act is where this is done. That transfer takes place. I believe that it's paternalistic. In my book, that is paternalistic. You have just gone back to a feudal system. Mm. That's all the shades of wrong. And why are they doing it? Because the people in the city can say, oh, look, we've given the Aboriginal their land back. And therefore, they get a junket to the United Nations and all this crap. This is totally cynical. And people don't understand land tenure. They don't understand what they've done. And I'd like to someone prove to me otherwise. It's only been done so far once. I think this place is in East Gippsland have gone. And to make it work, because the people... The Aboriginal group don't want the management of a national park, so then they do what they call a co-management deal. There's like joint management and co-management. Can't remember, one's one. But one of them is a a deal where they subcontract the execution of of a Nature Conservation Act back to the government. The end result is land has gone from the people, and that includes all people, including Aboriginals. There's no distinction all people Two the the title lies with an Aboriginal group, the control of the land lies with no longer the Crown, which is a different thing, but the bureaucracy. Not Parliament, but the bureaucracy. It will lie with Parks Victoria, which is a quango, which has a chief executive and a board, which is appointed by Government, it is true, but that's what it is. And they have a sworn intention to commercialise. They've got so many profit centres they want to see. That's what they want to do. So that's how that ties in. That ties in with the overall plan of doing that. Um, Aboriginal activists see it as a way of making money. Um, If it drives, there's money in it, love of money, Dangerous, dangerous thing. Love of money has nothing to do with connection to land. Whether you're uh, a white fellow who loves walking out on those places and feels just the immense pull of that landscape, or you're a black fellow that has a a link somewhere in that area, not necessarily grampings, they're, they're, they're probably all gone, but certainly feels that as well. Money has nothing to do with that. It is as remote from money as we can get. Yet, the love of money, government, driving money, trying to make these commercial power, are going to destroy our national parks. I really believe it. They will do it. You just got to look at what they're doing. Just look at it. We're going to, you're going to go for your walk. And then at the end of the day you'll going to a nice eco lodge and you'll drink some nice wines and an Aboriginal tribal elder will come and tell you a story. That's terrible. Mm. I don't, Is it just me?
0: <laughs> you ask, is it just me? <laughs> you you asked the question before you bring it back to what, um, what future are we leaving? Yeah.
1: Is that the future? That's shocking. Surely that is not the future.
0: What future do you hope for?
1: I believe that I'm beginning to think now, am I going, am I too old? My wife keeps telling me, you know, we're all just booning out now Victoria's running. I'm passionate about it, but, oh, man, it's going to wear me out. I need younger people to at least do the donkey work. I can at least read it. I know there's other older folk around who are thinking like me, and, look, they've got a background. They're in law. They understand this crap. You know, we have the brains. We have the people. We need the young people, the vital people, to understand it. But, God, they've got to understand what the future holds. And to do that, I believe we could go, we could challenge at the high court level. That's what's got to happen. Because the trouble is with the state. States are very local. And bless them, that's what they're meant to be, right? It's a principle of subsidiarity. I'm a great believer in local stuff should be done locally. But your problem with that is your local Aboriginal activists, your local politicians, your local green people, your local tourist board, your local graziers, your local... in They're all got money moving in that sphere. They appoint people to the Supreme Court and... You've got to be cynical, and there's good reason for it. You can prove it very easily. These are Melbourne's a little hotbed like that. And therefore, if we drive and say, we challenge this whole question at, say, Garibou, if we challenge it there at the Grand Pits and we push it to the Supreme Court, there's a chance we could lose that in the Supreme Court. We would have to take it to the High Court, or a point, because it is a point of law. There's a much bigger point of law. It applies to every state. Every state, this is a problem. Every state, this is happening. It's just we're not all quite as bureaucratic as Melbourne. Queenslanders will be one of the last to go. Perhaps Western Australia will be the last to go. You know, South Australia will be next on board. You watch them go. And it's like it's to do with their mix and just how those places work. Um,
0: do you feel like this is a foregone conclusion?
1: or Not... If I wasn't so damn old, I, it wouldn't be. <laughs> I feel my energy failing, you know, and also people saying goodbye, grandpa, bring in the new, roll out the old, it's all good. You're facing that. It's a very real thing. It's all us grumpy guys that see it coming, youngsters say, and what's wrong of having, you know, to me, it's all the shades of wrong. And... In the High Court, I believe, is a case. It is in the interest. It is in public interest. Because not just us. It's happening to... I'm talking to all sorts of groups now. Yeah. And that's what's eating my time, It's talking to these groups. And I've got to have the same conversation with them. I, know, I need more people who know how to phrase this argument yeah. to do the talking. And that's what we need, that we can get wider fast enough. And then we could make an Australian-wide access group yeah. that could easily raise a million dollars and would challenge every national park where they attempted to take it out of public control and where they attempted to mess with the underlying principles of, of why, of a dedication of a national park. That is not, by the way, fighting Aboriginal cultural heritage. Absolutely not. Part of that would be integrating that as an absolutely element of it but it wouldn't mean some token black fella coming to speak to a whole lot of elites and make stuff up up, up about you know whatever it would be none of that crap it would be the genuine stuff the genuine elders you know kids would learn about it because this is part of their heritage and this is what they know it would be the real thing coming from the real people before they all get too old and die and it gets lost Yes, but you've got to realise that's at the risk of disappearing within the next generation. That, to me, is what it's about, how we engineer it against the squawking of peacocks. But it's possible because it's there. It can be. The law is on our side. The Constitution is on our side.
0: All right, that's it, Australia. Thanks for listening. And thanks to David for sitting down for what was uh, like a five-hour epic recording session at his house in Brisbane. Thanks for your hospitality, David, and the cups of tea and the biscuits if you want to get involved with the access issue you can reach out and speak to various people in in the climbing community i'd suggest uh, you could start with the australian climbing association in your state there's one in victoria and queensland at the moment and by the time this podcast comes out or maybe you're listening to it there may be others you can also get involved with uh, the climbing clubs uh, that are out there in uh, various states I'll put some links up on thelayback.com uh, so that uh, you can follow those over there if you don't already know where to go. Normally, I finish up the podcast with a bit of a climbing psalm, but unfortunately, this time, my creative uh, juices have been you know, maxed out, sucked out of me by all the other things going on in life. And uh, so, I'm just trying to get you this podcast as soon as possible. Uh, but I have found some pretty cool little clips, uh, some sound bites from the 60s from a couple of uh, old film archives that I found on Australian Life, including one called Escape the City. I've linked them over on layback.com. It's actually kind of cool to go down the YouTube rabbit hole that is archival footage on Australian Life. I'd suggest doing it sometime, uh, but here it is, Escape the City to take us out. Thanks for listening. The hustle and bustle of city life
1: is quickly behind us anywhere in Australia. The path of escape leads across carpets of yellow and white everlastings. Then on to a dress circle view as nature presents one of her most dramatic
0: displays from the Lamington National Park, Queensland.
1: Nature has laid out her landscape on a majestic scale, and man has paid tribute on a like scale by setting aside 48,000 acres of national parkland within a few hours drive of the city of Brisbane.
0: And soon you come to the mountains that are too wild for cultivation. But the mountains are not too wild for those with energy, those who know what they want and the mountains are worth climbing.